I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter. Scott Eklund. Washington takes on Oregon at Husky Stadium. 12.30 kickoff. Game is being broadcast on ABC, if I'm not mistaken. We never watch the game at home, so we, it's hard to know sometimes. But ABC game, Scott? Uh, yes, I believe so. All right. Uh, weather, taking a look outside. Not going to be great today, so um, you know, bring dress appropriately. So, uh, big game, and uh, after last year's tough loss down at Oregon, there may be a little bit of revenge factor, maybe some redemption from uh, Peyton Henry. But going into this game, Chris, I think that uh, fans are ready for a big game at Husky Stadium in football weather. Absolutely, twelve thirty start. It feels old school again, just kind of like the USC game. I remember kind of talking about that as well, and. Yeah, nothing better than to have two ranked teams coming to play Husky Stadium in a situation where clearly Washington wants to uh, get some measure of revenge for last year's game, and obviously that doesn't mean much once the once the game actually starts. But in terms of the build up and in terms of everything else, I mean these two teams look really well matched, and um, it should be a fantastic game. And Scott, the big thing looking at tomorrow, which is going to get most of the national attention, you have two of the best quarterbacks in the country, Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason facing one another. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Justin Herbert plays with a big game and a big crowd, and that may be a little bit of a knock on him that he hasn't really produced in the big games. Yeah, I I think that's a fair evaluation. He has struggled some in some of the bigger games that they've played in this this year against Auburn, their biggest game and their only loss. You know, he was he was okay in the first half and he couldn't get anything done in the second half and that allowed Auburn to come back and win the game. I I just I honestly think that Oregon's going to come in and not try to make him win it. They're going to try and run the ball because they should have the advantage over Washington's uh, defensive line, relatively inexperienced defensive line, against their very experienced and very talented offensive line. So I, I think Oregon's going to try and run the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if you see if they're going to run anywhere from 55 to 70 plays. I wouldn't be surprised if you see. 40, 45 runs from them. Uh, obviously, a lot's going to depend on how successful they are with that, but I wouldn't be surprised to see 40, 45 runs from from Oregon today. And Chris, as well as their offensive line uh, has played and as highly regarded as it is, they're not a team that has a Royce Freeman, uh, a Thomas Tyner, or a running back like that in their stable. It's just a bunch of guys. Well, I mean... You know, if you're talking about a bigger type back, if you're talking about a guy that's the size of a Freeman or what have you, I mean, they they have Cyrus Habibi Likio, who's a, a pretty good runner between the tackles, and then C.J. Verdell and and Travis Dye did a pretty good job against Washington last year. I think, to be honest with you, you could probably put me behind a guy like Penny Sewell, and I could probably get a couple yards. It's uh. He's a pretty dominant offensive lineman, their left tackle. He's as good as any that I've seen in the country so far this year. And I know that when we talk about the motivation factor and potential revenge factor, he thinks he got rolled up you know, uh, against Washington last year and got taken out of the game. I'm sure he wants to show Washington uh, just how good he can be on sa- you know, this Saturday. So I, you know, we'll see what happens. But I- their running backs are pretty good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I disagree with Kim a little bit. Those well, I don't think they have guys. that bell cow. They don't have that bell cow guy. They don't have that featured back that strikes the fear into you like we've seen them have in the past. Well, I, I mean, C.J. Verdell is getting seventy has has seventy eight carries and averaging five uh, five point seven yards per carry. 
I mean, <laughs> five nine, two hundred ten pounds. I, I think that guy's pretty close to a bell cow for them. That's well, just so my opinion, obviously. Yeah, and Scott, when we talk about uh, Panay Sewell and maybe having a little bit of revenge factor because he felt he got rolled up on, one of the things that Oregon's been not very good at, they're not the most disciplined team out there. And, boy, if uh, Trey Adams might be licking his chops a little bit, if you thought he flopped last week against Arizona about you know, the little defensive back, they might be easy to you know get uh, get in their head a little bit too and kind of create a little bit of stuff. A little bit of stupid coming from the Oregon side. I don't uh, have the numbers in front of me, but I, I seem to remember uh, some stat that they're averaging close to 11 penalties per game, something like that. I mean, two of the games that I've watched of theirs are just penalties galore, and I was willing to give the Auburn game when they had uh, quite a few penalties, I believe. I was willing to give that one a little bit of a um, a little bit of an excuse because it was the first game of the season. They're playing against a really good team. But, yeah, I mean, last week uh, – or I'm sorry, yeah, last week they had – I think it was 14 penalties against Colorado and just – I mean, that is that is just poor, poorly executed, poorly played. And you, they've got to tighten that up because it can end up costing you. It, it hasn't cost them yet, but it can. You don't play disciplined in an atmosphere like you're going to at Husky Stadium in the weather that we're anticipating. That could cost them big time. I was going to say, uh, guys, through six games, from what I'm looking at, they've uh, had 35 total penalties. So that's less than six a game. Uh, okay, they, may, well, they may have had a lot of, a lot against Colorado. I, I don't know the number exact for Colorado, but I'm looking at the total numbers, and it's 35. They're averaging about 57, 58 penalty yards per game. Now compare that to their opposition. Their opposition has been averaging about nine penalties a game compared to their six. So they've shown, you know, maybe they can pop off at times. I don't know. But uh, it's certainly by the numbers. If you just went by the numbers, they've been pretty disciplined. Okay, that was a bad stat that I heard then because I I heard it was close to 11 a game. So maybe, maybe it was in conference games. I don't know. Hey, Scott, also, you take a look at that Oregon offensive line, and it's led by, uh, obviously, the talent-wise, Panay Sewell, but uh, they've got a couple of guys from Washington on that offensive line that have got some preseason accolades that are playing real well. Yeah, yeah. Calvin Throckmorton's a guy that, that uh, has, has played all over the line. He's played, he's played guard, tackle, and uh, center. He's played center this year for for an injured for the injured starter there, and and the, all reports have been that he's been really really good. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name. Shane Lemieux. Yeah, Shane Lemieux. He he's just you know he's a grinder. He's not a guy who's going to blow you away with his athleticism or anything, but he's gonna he just grinds and grinds on you. And and uh, they've got some they've got some talent up front. Don't make no mistake. They've got a lot of talent up front. Take us back to when those two were recruited, because I know that Washington wanted Calvin Throckmorton. Absolutely uh, wanted. Not him. so much. Not so much on Lemieux. Yeah, absolutely wanted him, and his family wanted him to commit to Washington, but he felt a better, a better connection with the Oregon coaching staff, and and just wanted to wanted to be part of what they they had going on down there, and so he chose to to sign with the Ducks. And Shane Lemieux was a guy they didn't really go after very much. I think uh, I don't know what it was about him. I, I never heard exactly why they never uh offered i just don't think he fit what they were looking to do and 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 uh decide they just decided to move on and and offer someone else and and it's proved to be 
a a boon for the Oregon Ducks because they've got a what is he a three year starter four year starter whatever he is. Yeah. Also, yeah, with Calvin Throckmorton, that was one of the, you know we get caught off guard a little bit sometimes on recruiting and when he committed to Oregon, boy, that sure caught me off guard. Do you remember that? Yes, I do, and it didn't catch me off guard, but that's because I'm a little bit more deep in the in the woods with. Uh, with recruiting than you are, Kim, but um, it didn't catch me off guard because I knew that he was like Oregon quite a bit. I just thought that it would eventually end up swinging back around to Washington, but everything that I heard was that, you know, he just didn't feel the connection with, I think it was Chris Strouser was the coach then and just never felt the connection with him and so decided to sign with Oregon. When you take a look at Oregon's wide receivers, it um, they started the year really light because of injuries, but it sounds like they got some of those guys back, including uh, Micah Pittman, um, who was a guy that Washington had recruited at one time and offered, and then sounds like they may have backed off of him. Yeah, him and, well, Brian Addison's another one that they that they were after. But, you know, Johnny Johnson is the guy that they that is kind of their leader as far as wide receivers are concerned. 25 receptions, 299 yards, and two touchdowns. But the guy that they're going to be missing is Jacob Breeland, that tight end. And, and I loved that guy. Thought he was one of the more underrated players in the, in the Pac-12. And they lose him to, a, I think it was a knee injury, 26 receptions. He was leading the team in receptions in yards with 405 and with touchdowns uh, six. So how they make up for that in the passing game, I'll be real interested to watch. They, they do have some other tight ends in the system. Spencer Webb is a guy that, they, that they'll use a little bit, but I think it's going to be more along the lines of the wide receivers. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Micah Pittman at least with five to five to seven targets and let him see what he can do. And, Chris, I think the biggest question for Husky fans is you take a look at the game against Arizona last week. You know, coming against Oregon, are we going to see first-half Arizona-Washington team or second-half Arizona-Washington team? And I think that's going to be the big question going into the game against Oregon. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of that obviously was focused on the offense and the fact that they weren't able to convert some of the early miscues that Arizona had kind of given them via the you know, obviously Levi Anzarike with the block punt was an early one. Getting the muff punt was another one. But when you only convert those into field goals, that's not going to cut it against an Oregon team that's, you know, that they're already limiting teams to what eight point seven yard or eight point seven points a game uh, at this point, and they're on a streak of five straight games where they've haven't given up double digits. That's pretty impressive. And so, yeah, I think when. You know, when Washington decided that they were going to cut it loose a little bit and just kind of go after it and get aggressive starting out the second half and that first pass from Jacob Eason to Puka Nakua really set the tone, I think that's what they need. They need another kind of player to like that to set the tone for the game and potentially try to also get one of those sudden change plays like a, a, a turnover, a muff punt, a, a block punt, something uh, that can really get the crowd into it. Well, the other thing is, and it's going to be talked about quite a bit because they've struggled in the red zone this year. What can they do to improve on the red zone, especially getting getting sixes instead of threes? Well, yeah, and that's that's actually a situation where both teams have really struggled in the red zone too. So, yeah, it, it could be one of those where whoever has success in the red zone is going to be good. I mean, Oregon's given up, I think, one or two touchdowns total all, all season. In the red zone, I think it's maybe one. I can't remember what it is, but in terms of uh, you know their offense, you know they're only they're only scoring 
uh, in the red zone little over three quarters of the time where Washington's actually doing a little bit better than that, even though they're not, their touchdown rate is much lower. So it's a bit misleading, but I think the red zone, who's more successful in the red zone, certainly going to be a huge factor uh, when it comes to the outcome of this game. Chris, how much are they missing Richard Newton? Because he brought a physicality to the running game that doesn't seem to be there since he's been gone. Sean McGrew's doing a good job of it. Savon Ahmed's not known as a physical runner, but how much do they miss Richard Newton? Well, they're they're certainly going to miss a, a guy that can that that was a legitimate part of that three headed monster that we've been ta- kind of talking about since the very first first game and we kind of saw what Richard Newton was going to be capable of doing. We had told people what we had seen in spring and fall, but obviously there's that just that slight hes- hesitancy in terms of is he going to be able to do it on the big stage when the when the lights are on and he certainly showed that. And so losing him is obviously big, but it's interesting you mentioned that especially with the Wildcat Kim. I actually took a look at last year's uh, Washington Oregon game just to see kind of the dynamics of that game. Sean McGrew ran Wildcat in that game. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, absolutely. But so it's not like they can't run Wildcat with Richard Newton out. They, they, apparently they've decided that they're not going to or, or they're not going to at least show it until maybe even, you know, Saturday. We'll see. I mean, it's it's one of those things that's up in the air, but there's no doubt Sean McGrew can run it if they need to run it. Yeah, and Scott, one of the big key matchups as well, Washington for Jackson Kirkland went out of the game early against Arizona. They were missing Nick Harris. We're expecting both of those guys to be back, but Oregon's got that run stopper in the middle, so that's a key matchup to look at as well. Yeah, Jordan Scott's an absolute stud. I talked about him on the radio show on Wednesday. I talked about him with a uh, Duck uh, broadcaster on a, on a podcast that he does. Um, yeah, I just I love the way that guy stuffs the run. He's about 5'11", maybe 6 feet tall. 320, 330 pounds. You, he is almost impossible to move off the line of scrimmage. Washington really has to. That's the thing about him is he's so low to the ground that he's that he's tough to move off of the off of the ball. So um, you know Jackson Kirkland being what is he six six whatever he is and he's going to have to get down and, and block him a little. You know get get under his pads and Nick Harris being on the shorter side that might give him an advantage uh, to try and block him as well. Uh, you know, Luke Wattenberg also, you got to throw him in there and, and then Henry Bainavalu if he comes in and rotates in. So um, all those guys are going to have their hands full and trying to trying to get things done against Jordan Scott and moving him out of the way so that they can get some running lanes. Yeah, I was talking to Matt Prem yesterday and he called him Jordan Scott. So I'm not sure how you okay. pronounce it, but uh, it, it sure sounds like if you're a Seahawk fan, he's their version of Puna Ford. Oh yeah, I I don't disagree with that. Just a total run stopper. He isn't going to get you much in the way of pass rush, but he he can stop the run, and that's really what he's in, in there for. And Chris, you take a look at this Washington offense. Puka Nakua came up big a couple of times against Arizona. That defensive secondary from Oregon is physical and they're fast. Are they going to be able to get guys open and get the ball downfield against that uh, Oregon secondary? Certainly one of the storylines. I'm actually kind of curious, going back to the offensive line real quick, do you guys think that losing Harris and, and Kirkland, is that going to be a, a huge talking point going into this game? Because I, I really felt like Mateo Mele and, and Henry Bainavalu filled in really, really well. And 
it almost didn't even feel like there was a drop off at all. I don't I don't know how you guys feel about that. Obviously, you don't want to lose veteran guys, and a guy like Nick Harris is absolutely crucial in terms of the communication along the line and all that kind of stuff. But I'm kind of curious what you guys think of that. Well, I thought that Henry needed a couple series to calm down, but once he calmed down, he was fine. He had a couple of penalties. I think it was a holding call and a false start. But uh, once he settled down a little bit, he seemed to play real well. And Mateo Mele, you didn't hear his name called. So that's a good thing if you're a center, your name's not called. But um, Nick Harris is obviously, you know, one of not only the leaders on the offensive line, leaders on the offense and leaders of the team. And I think it's huge having him back. And uh, Jackson Kirkland is he's a big man. You know, he's just a really big man. So uh, I think that uh, I, I'm expecting both of them back. Like I said earlier in the week. When Jackson Kirkland got hurt, he went into the injury tent. He came out with a knee brace on, and he stood on the sidelines with his helmets on. And as you mentioned, Chris, if you're not going back in, they take your helmet from you. But uh, he looked like he was ready to go. So, and Scott, you've heard things that uh, Nick Harris is expected to go as well. Yes, I have. I've I've heard things about Nick Harris, and I and I saw uh, Jackson Kirkland as I was uh, leaving practice on. Wednesday, I saw Jackson Kirkland walking um, after I'd finished up all my stuff. Saw him walking back. Didn't look like he was walking with a limp or anything. So I expect both of those guys to be on the field when Washington takes the field to start the game. What would happen if Jackson Kirkland ran at you and just kind of pushed you and landed on top of you? Um, I probably uh, – I my wife would be in our lawyer's uh, office uh, going through our will. I yeah. mean, that would be probably it. He's a and, big, and figuring out where our uh, life insurance plan is. He's a big dude, but yeah, uh, he is. So, yeah, so, not. so, steer, so, kind of let's. Steer, it was my fault for kind of steering us away from what you asked about, Kim, with Washington's receivers going up against Oregon's DBs. Just trying to get that back on track. But I think what Washington fans will be surprised a little bit to find is that they're running a very similar defense, at least in terms of personnel, that Washington is with Jimmy Lake. They're running kind of a base nickel package. I mean, they've got Javon Holland right now as the nickel. He's about 6'1", 195 or so. But then you've got your you've got your corners at Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore, who they're both you know five eleven ish around two hundred pounds. And then you've got their safeties, uh, either Nick Pickett or Brady Breeze is one of them, and they're about six foot six one one ninety five two hundred pounds. And then Vron McKinley, the third, if I remember correctly, he was the Pac twelve Defensive Player of the Week this last week. And I think he had a couple couple picks and what have you. He's another guy. It's about five eleven, one ninety. Um, it is interesting that they're they're running a lot of those that style. Even though they're big up front, they're kind of running that three four. But they they do like uh, they do like their base nickel packages quite a bit and getting those athletes on the field. So it'll be interesting to see how they do match up against Washington's receivers. And no question with Puka Nakua having the day that he had and the energy and the excitement that he brings with every catch that he makes, uh, it would be huge to try to get him going early. Because if they can get get him going early, that might uh, open things up for some of the other guys. They don't have a kicker. They just don't. And uh, I was asking Matt Prem if the game comes down to, you know, a 30-yard field goal for Oregon to win the game, how comfortable is he? And not at all. Um, He's watching... perfect from 30, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> one but for the... one. Yeah, yeah, but they're, it's a real struggle with those guys. And on the other hand, Peyton Henry, who missed the game, the field goal at the end of the year that could have won Washington the game, he's been perfect so far this year. 
Yeah, 12 of 12, man. I don't think you could ask for more, and especially when I was the one, you highlighted it every time, Kim. Every time uh, they had a kicking competition and both of them were struggling, I was laughing, and, and you thought that was pretty darn funny that I, I just thought it was humorous. But, uh, man, he, there's just something different about the way he's hitting the ball, whether he's stronger, whether he's more confident, whatever it is. He is hitting the ball really, really well. And I I think, honestly, Chris Peterson is still a little leery of using him outside of about 35 to 40 yards and because he hasn't done it yet. And um, I mean, except for that one time in, in the uh, in the cow game. But, man, I, I just I, I think Washington needs to use him more as a weapon because he is a weapon, at least right now. Well, and then the difference I'm seeing in him is last year he kicked the ball. This year he's he's attacking it. I mean, he's really getting after it, and all of his kicks are real strong. He's getting the ball up a lot quicker. He's getting it up higher, and there's a lot to be said about attacking the ball. But uh, you know, last year's game was definitely frustrating with the you know with he makes the kick and they call timeout to ice him so the kick didn't count, and you know comes back and misses it, and uh, boy, but. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, Peyton Henry's going to get a shot this week, so we will see. So um, yeah, he's also he's fourteen of fourteen, not twelve of twelve. Sorry, for he uh, that was before the game. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott, with when it comes to recruiting, anything to mention? It's we're not expecting any official visitors and maybe just uh, local guys coming in for the game. But uh, any recruiting notes we need to touch base? Yeah. On? With it being a twelve o'clock game or twelve thirty game, I they just they're not going to bring any official visitors, and it's just it's tough to even get unofficial visitors up. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a guy like Keith Brown, the linebacker from Oregon, the number one recruit in the twenty twenty one class out of Oregon. I wouldn't be surprised if he made it up. I wouldn't be surprised if you might see um, maybe guard Memoir come over or something like that. But for the most part, it's going to be all mostly local kids. Uh, you and, and myself, Kim and, um, our intern, uh, George Johnson, we'll all be on the field kind of looking for guys and seeing who we can see. And, and, uh, we will definitely share that, uh, pregame. Chris has that on the pregame thread and everything like that. So, um, but, you know, I would still expect a good contingent of kids. I just don't think it'll be a lot of out-of-state guys. I think it'll be more of the local guys. I know that uh, Sam Heward, Savelle Smalls, and most of the Kennedy team are, are expected to be at the game. Um, from what I remember, uh, Will Latu and Julian Simon, I believe, uh, when I talked to both of them, I believe they're both at USC this weekend. So neither of those two players will be there, but Garen Hatchett is almost at every game. Carson Bruner is almost at every, at, at almost every game. So, um, those are the guys I really expect to be on the, on the, uh, on the sidelines before the game. So you're really going to come down if it's raining? Really? I'll, I'll come down. I'm not right. like you. <laughs> where I complain about it all the time. I you complain mean, about the. You complain about the weather, Kim. I complain about the time. You complain about the heat. I don't. Eh, it, it doesn't get hot <laughs> enough up, up here for me to for me to complain about it that much. And, and by the way, there is one five star official visit on campus this week. His name is Cade Cunningham. He's a basketball recruit, um, arguably the number one player in the country. If he's not the number one, a lot of people have him listed as number two. But uh, you could argue that. But that would be a big time get for Coach Mike Hopkins, Will Conroy, Cameron Dollar, Dave Rice, Coach Hop. Um, actually coached him on the 
what which one was it the USA team I'm not sure exactly what it was called I think it was the U17 team so coach Hop made a good impression on him he visited Kentucky last week Evan Daniels actually crystal balled him to Kentucky last week I think there was some back there who were kind of surprised that he didn't commit to Kentucky and was going to honor his commitment to visit Washington. So keep an eye on that. I'm sure he will be on the field prior to the game. I'm sure the dog pack is well aware of it, and I am sure that he will get the Isaiah Stewart treatment from the dog pack and the coaching staff, but uh, big-time recruit in in town, on campus, on an official visit uh, for the basketball team. So keep an eye on that. Scott Eklund, final thoughts. Huskies have to be almost perfect to win this game. And I think they're going to come out and play really, really well. I think the coaches were pretty amped up this week from everything I've heard that they've just been locked in on this one. This is one that they definitely want. Um, offense, you got to score. You got you cannot settle for th- three points in, in, uh, when you get in the red zone. You got to score touchdowns. And defensively, you really have to contain the running game. If you can contain the running game, I think you can do something against the pass. That's going to be the key. I think Washington gets a close win in this game, but it would not surprise me if Oregon wins. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters. Uh, yeah, I think the Cade Cunningham thing is going to be pretty monstrous considering that is the, the last official visit for him. And then he'll sit down and decide. I think obviously talking to guys like Isaiah Stewart are going to be huge for him. So we'll see how that goes. Do, do not ever count out Mike Hopkins in these things. As you said, Kim, with his connection – uh, coaching him already, Cunningham already has a pretty good idea of what he's all about. So, yeah, the weather conditions won't be great, but hopefully the environment and in the atmosphere and the and the game itself will carry the day. As far as the actual game, I I, I kind of I know Scott, you said that you think they got to play perfect. I don't think either team is going to play perfect in this game. I think the other team is going to force some mistakes on the other team. I think uh, Oregon has shown that they will put the ball on the deck a little bit. I know Justin Herbert's been pretty good about uh, keeping the ball, you know, in terms of, you know, he hasn't thrown a ton of interceptions and all that kind of stuff. But Washington needs to do what they did against Arizona in terms of getting pressure with three and four guys. If they can do that, if they can figure that out, that could be a game changer. Because then you can mix in some of these safety pressures with Miles Bryant and some of these other things to really confuse him and to really get him off his spot. And if they can get him off his spot, then you can start causing some real problems. And so, yeah, do I think that it starts with the run game for Oregon and kind of stopping that first? Absolutely. Uh, Their pistol offense has shown that they can really run the ball well. They need to stop that, but then in those obvious passing downs, they need to be able to try to get something done without necessarily throwing a lot of pressure. Because if you throw a lot of pressure out there, then one of those younger receivers can start making plays for them. And then on the other side... Getting off to a fast start and moving the chains is absolutely vital. Um, that that battle in the trenches between Washington's offensive line and Oregon's defensive line, I think it ultimately tell the tale. But when you you kind of laid it out, Kim, they have no kicker. Their special teams has been suspect, especially in that area. And then also look at the fact that the last ten true road games for Oregon, they're three and seven. They just aren't great on the road. And if Washington can really take them out of their element and and the, the crowd can get really behind them and make it difficult for the Ducks, that could really that could be the difference. I mean, I only predicted a three-point three, three point win because I think there could be some karma with Peyton Henry, but uh, I think this is going to be a classic game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think both defenses are going to show up, and it's going to be that classic thing, turnovers, field position, 
special teams. I think all those stuff, all those things are going to come into play. I think the big key to the game, and not only in stopping the running game, but I think it's Justin Herbert. How does he respond on a road in an environment like this? When you take a look at Oregon coming off that win against Colorado where uh, Justin Herbert just picked them apart, well, the week before, Khalil Tate threw for over 400 yards against Colorado. So that really doesn't tell you a whole lot. And you take a look at what Washington's secondary and defense was able to do to that Arizona team and Khalil Tate after they just tore up Colorado. Can we get that same kind of defensive performance against Oregon? I know that Oregon's offensive line is a lot better, but again, the key, I think, is getting the pressure to a Justin Herbert, getting in his head, getting him confused, forcing him into turnovers, forcing him into throws he doesn't want to make. And especially with you get in his head a little bit, you get in his face a little bit, and you get that loud crowd noise, anything can happen. So it's going to be a good game, and this is a game that many have had circled for a long, long, long time. And it's probably, you know, along with the Apple Cup, the biggest game to be played at Husky Stadium. So sellout crowd, it's been sold out for a long time, and weather's going to be bad. It's the middle of the season, two ranked teams, and uh, a little bit of a revenge factor in the air. So I'm looking forward to it. So it's going to be fun. So um just a reminder, we've got a promo running on the site by uh, one month, and we'll go ahead and get you two months for free. That'll get you through signing day, the first signing day. And uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the background going on up at UW. So we'll talk about that a little bit more down the road. But uh, stay tuned in. And, you know, if you're not a subscriber to dogman.com and you're listening to this, you're missing out. It's the best uh, 10 bucks a month you're ever going to spend. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds, along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. 